0: about life groups um some life groups started this last week most of them start this week the emotionally healthy spirituality and uh scripture and worship started this last week but you can still sign up for them um there is a sign up sheet probably near a chair near you if not there's also at the back and if you're interested you can put your information there and uh put it in at the turn it in at the box at the back there on the life groups table Um, One thing, I just wanted to highlight a few of them. One of the ones that's going to be tonight is uh, Parables of Jesus, and Brendan and Karen will be leading that one, and uh, one of the things about the parables that's neat is that Jesus always told these very kind of subversive gems of a story that always sort of turned our expectations about the kingdom on its head, and uh, so that's what uh, those are about, and also on Tuesday afternoon at the church, I'm also part of one that will be doing the same content as well. Um, then scripture and worship on monday with amy and um, that is also just taking god's words to us and then blending them with our words back to god so a um, harmonious blending there Uh, book of job with tom and audrey and that's on tuesday evenings and book of job is a great book because it takes three friends who have this idea of how being sunday school good should protect them from pain and then suddenly that whole theory comes crashing down, and they're sort of sent into a tailspin. And basically, it's about how they're trying to figure that out. So it's a great one on just how pain sometimes enters when we least expect it. Um, love and respect, Brendan Brandon and Jessica will be. That will be on Tuesday for young marrieds. And one thing about marriage is it's a probably one of the most wonderful human gifts that God gives us, but it's also very challenging much more challenging than the uh, beautiful uh, slow motion wet- wedding videos might lead you to expect. And so that will be a chance for young marrieds to meet and talk about that. Effective parenting, Chuk and Jennifer. And um, they will be meeting on Wednesday and that is for those with children. And uh, one of the things about parenting is it's awesome joy, awesome responsibility, those little gaffers are amazing and they're so so cute and adorable and yet um, oftentimes the amount it's so easy, yes. Um, uh, if, if, you know, for Dallas, Leah, maybe. I mean, they had these amazing, these amazing kids, you know. But um, for the rest of us, uh, we, we uh, sometimes just need that real wisdom. You just, you just want and you go, hey, we just really need God's wisdom on this and just talking about some of that. Uh, Mums and Tots, Rachel uh, uh, does that on Thursday. That's 10 to 12 at the church. And I'm not allowed into that group, so I don't have a lot of information on it, except that there are mums, there are tots, there is sharing, there's a devotional, and I know from what has been left over after they leave, there are also treats as well. So that's another part of that one. Um, Ephesians with Ken and Pam on Thursdays. Ephesians is a great book if you have taken Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and you have taken Emotionally Healthy Relationships ephesians fits really well into a good follow-up to that because ephesians talks about the privilege we have of being connected with a heavenly father as being his children and all that we have as rights and privileges of that but it also talks about our relationships with brothers and sisters here as a spiritual family and so it connects both the vertical uh the vertical and the horizontal relationships and so that's on thursdays uh, love does is uh with daniel and hannah for young adults on saturdays and um, one of the things that i looked when you look at jesus life it just seemed that he was able to sort of just go through these his days with not this huge weight and worry and fear which dallas is going to be talking about but he seemed to be able to put love into action and mix his faith with a kind of a lightness and joy and that's what this particular topic is about and that's what they'll be looking at on saturday so just to remind you if you're interested Please uh, see me at the back um, after uh, church and you can, um, after the service, and you can hand in one of those sheets. Thank you very much.
1: Big round of applause for the life group man named Glenn. A couple, uh, my piece of that announcement is to say there's somewhere around 30 open spots, I would say, about for life groups. Which isn't that lot, uh, that many, considering how many groups are going. But we really encourage you to get involved in one, not just because Glenn will feel good, but be- that was that. What's that? But that's that is important. <laughs> Thank you. The reality is, is that community doesn't come easy. Relationships don't come easy. And when we need relationships most is when we sometimes find out they're not quite in place yet. And in those times of crisis, when you need somebody to lean on and you look in your contact book and everybody might be good to go for coffee, but nobody can really take your pain. That's when you want to have somebody who you can lean on. And so that you might need somebody in a year or two or three. Don't just do it for yourself, but start now. So you have somebody, but also start now so that you can be that for somebody else. that right so cool so join it's not a guilt trip to get you involved but it is an encouragement because you don't want to miss that opportunity well we've got the rhythm on stage Thanks, Tyler, for that this morning. And uh, thank you for joining me up here. This is Tyler Fredlin. Tyler was in Bolivia not too long ago on a missions trip with his school, and you guys were a a huge part of helping make that happen, I believe. So I wanted to give him a chance to tell us what was going on. So tell us something that what you were doing down down there or something that you did and were a part of and how it went.
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, like Dallas said, uh, a group from my school and I, uh, went down to Bolivia to do missions work with Ken Switzer's ministry um, so we just uh, Worked with them and his ministry is basically just for guys that are transferring from the ages Like from high school into university so that they can get a degree
1: cool and um how were those days hanging out with guys? What was that experience like? Is that like the normal way it feels around your dad, Murray, in the morning? Or does it have a different feel?
2: Or, uh, Yeah, it was very different than uh, normal life back here. Um, every day we kind of did lots of different things. So Yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. What would you say is one way you saw God answer prayer? You guys prepared. You had supervisors and leaders. You're going to an established ministry where they're grateful to have the extra help and support. Where did you see, but God still needs to show up, right? Mm-hmm. So where, where did you see God do something?
2: Um, first off, definitely in the traveling. Um, we had safe travels and no delays with our flights or anything.
1: That is a miracle in this day and age. <laughs> Just for the record, that's not small. That's a huge miracle.
2: And another way I saw God move is uh, before the trip, um, us as a team, we were praying a lot for uh, open minds and hearts, just to um, be open to the people and share God's love with them. So,
1: Cool. Yeah. And your your team, you were feeling like you were?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Awesome. What was something that was surprising to you or was maybe different or really kind of impacted you from this trip?
2: Um, one takeaway is just really... The pure joy in the kids' faces when we would um, go to see them at their schools or orphanages, Hmm. Um, just the pure joy that they would have when we were playing with them or teaching them songs or something like that, because um, even though they had so little, they would put more importance on the things that matter in life and not materialistic things, so that was just really cool to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, You said there's something else you wanted to say to the congregation, Tyler.
2: Um, I would just like to say thank you to everyone who um, supported by donation or prayers, and it just meant a lot to me and my team as we were down there.
1: Awesome. Let's pray for Tyler. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for Tyler and the heart to go after this and to do this, and uh, for the impact that was there, even those relationships, those smiles, those connections, that those people that were influenced would today sense your goodness and sense your love. Be with that whole class, whether they traveled to Bolivia or whether they ministered here in the city. We had people ministering at the church during that time. We just thank you for a heart to serve, and we pray that you would take all of those young people and settle it in their heart to be servant hearted leaders in the kingdom. So bless them, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. and everybody gave Tyler a round of applause. Thank you, sir. Well, great to have you, and if you are online this morning, thanks for being here. All this applause and cheering is for you, wherever you're found today. In the summer of 2003, right in the middle of summer, 2004, thank you, I was part of the story, I'll remember it. We had, uh, on a weekend in July, gone to a family event in Estevan. I came back early for church. We went there with a toddler and a three-year-old and Leah. We were all healthy, happy, and having fun. I came back early. She arrived about 24 hours later in severe pain with a black patch over her eye because something had taken place in Estevan, Saskatchewan that could happen anywhere because there are these little things called these little amoebas that live in common water and she got a little scratch on her eye and this little amoeba got in there and over the course of 24 hours established itself to the point where Leah went from living a normal life and being on the lake out there at the at the dam to having a black patch on her eye, us covering over the windows in our room and living in a blackout. And as the doctors tried to figure out what was going on and they began to treat it, their first treatment for their two weeks actually helped reinforce it and establish it for the next two weeks because we didn't know what was going on and then she began to live on oxycontin and trying to manage a household with these little kids and and me trying to keep it together to support her one of the worst moments in that part of the journey was when I had taken her to the medical arts building and dropped her off for appointment and I went and picked her up and she came out and she was devastated and like a melted puddle getting into the car as they had told her that they didn't see any hope or way through it quickly and that this was probably an eight or 10 year journey at the minimum. We were both devastated and in tears as we contemplated what would that mean to like, could you actually pluck the eye out and that deal with it? There was no guarantee that that would deal with the pain. And um, obviously, God has done a miracle and restored so much of her life. If you, if you go to one of the hospitals in Saskatoon, you often see this poster of my lovely bride as she talks about getting a cornea transplant, because at one point it became so bad that although she was on the list and down the list of the cornea transplant, the doctor highlighted and asterisked her name and said, young mother needs it first. And God bumped her through those doctors to the top of the list. And so Leah spoke, encouraging organ tissue transplant, and we're grateful for everybody who has ever given their life to give somebody else life. And so, as part of that story that she tells, Leah often shares a quote, something like this. I wasn't afraid of dying because of that parasite, but I was afraid I would never be able to live with it. Our life had flipped upside down on its head, and there's still things in our life that are affected by that. But why do I share that story? Because I want to talk to you today about fear in part two of the message from last week. And we're going to kind of, in a sense, look at fear as this parasite, because I think the statement for us would be kind of the same. Most people do not live with fear for their lives as though they're going to die immediately. But most people live with fear in their lives and that we are used to this low-grade infection and dulling of our senses because we have this overarching sense that fear is at our fingertips or a foreboding sense of it that it's just one step away of something bad happening. What is a follower of Jesus to do when they have fear in their lives? God gives us good instruction through his word in what the reality for the believer should be. We are commanded to fear not, but today we'll be, we, we, we will be encouraged that to fear not is not a command of just stopping or trying harder, but it's a command that comes with a promise. And it's these promises that, if we actually hang on to that piece as part of the of the scripture, they can actually transform our heart, minds, and souls because those piece are, pieces are the truth that give us hope for our lives. In Ephesians. Chapter, pardon me, not Ephesians. Glenn's got me hooked on how great Ephesians is. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 7, it says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That's a great example of where we're going in this message. Do not fear for I have redeemed you. Do not fear. I have summoned you. God has his eye on you. You are not alone. Do not fear. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt for your ransom Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. Isaiah chapter 42 has just explained like the effects of their rebellion and them going against God. But here in Isaiah 43, it flips and it's talking about this special relationship that God has with his creation, with his people that he wants to redeem, that he wants to protect. And in light of these statements that come from Isaiah, we recognize that God's desire is for fear to be banished in the life of his people. That that's actually part of the portion and inheritance of being children of God, of being his people, is that fear is actually not intended to be the normal path that we go along. And in a moment, I will talk about fear being the common part of the human condition and that we will all encounter it in this broken world, but the reality for the believer is, and the choice for the believer is, what will you do at that moment? Will you ingrain it and embrace it as your own to go down that dark path? Or will you recognize that as a point to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? So uh, just a quick side note before we go down that line further There's and, and try to answer some questions. The first kind of sideline question is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Somewhere about 20 years ago, there was a lady at church and she came to me and she says, I hate that phrase, the fear of the Lord. And it was just very interesting because she just didn't understand what it meant. It wasn't, because I love Jesus. I want to be close to him, I don't want to fear him. So why does scripture use that phrase often throughout it? Well, to have the fear of the Lord is not an ungodly thing, it's not sin, it's not a terrorizing fear of God. It is to honor and acknowledge who he is. It's to have an attitude of respect and wanting to obey. It's expressing reverence at his holiness. It's being awestruck. It's being dumbfounded as we recognize, as we recognize who he is. We see that there's none like him in all his glory, that he's full of majesty. He's full of power. He's full of justice. He's full of purity. And to live with the fear of the Lord means that we live in a way that we would not want to offend or come against such an amazing being as God is in that way, that he has the way to life. And so today you will see your notes have a lot more just piled out scripture and lists of some things. It might actually feel more like a Bible study than a normal sermon. And so if you were looking for a normal sermon, there's other great churches that you could probably still catch today psalm 111 verse 10 the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom all who follow his precepts have good understanding to him belongs eternal praise proverbs 14 27 the fear of the lord is a fountain of life turning a person from the snares of death You want to live a good life? You want to know what to do? You want to know what decisions to make? If you fear God, he will turn you from the snares of death. Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Key here is that rich store, like a treasure house, a rich store of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. That sounds like the key to good living. It says the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. You want the treasure? You want the key to salvation, wisdom and knowledge? The Lord, the fear of the Lord is the key to that treasure. This isn't like coincidental. This isn't like live a good life and you might accidentally show up in something that's benefiting you. This is like if you want salvation, wisdom and knowledge, fear the Lord. Acts 9:31 Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. This is the church now thinking of you and me living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. You want to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God in your world and you want darkness to be pushed back because of the light of Jesus in your life. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Live his way. Why? Because you earned salvation? No, but because he's already given to you, given it to you as you've asked for it. Now you live in the knowledge and understanding of what he actually purchased and did for you. And you don't trample on the sacrifice and the gift that was offered, but you live in honor of what was done for you. And now, just to give you a little other piece of the character of God, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Those are difficult words of Jesus and a stern warning about our view of God that God is not to be taken lightly. And so here, what I'm proposing today is the tension that fear is not just an automatic that we have to receive, but that fear is actually an intersection point, a decision point. It is a choice. I propose to you today that fear is actually a neutral situation, not because it doesn't affect you, but it's neutral because it's not unique to you. Fear is something that comes to each one of us. We've all got relationships. We've got school. We've got finances. We've got governments. We've got world events. Fear is not unique to you and your situation alone you may have a different mix of it at any given time based on your current situations but the idea that fear is a common part of the human condition is normal it's part of a broken world so if you were actually to take fear as not a given that it means you have to actually be fearful but you recognize that God has given us the command to do not fear and to do something else with it. You recognize that it is often a matter of choice. Whether we live in fear is often a matter of choice. You see, fear is a powerful motivator. You get to that intersection, which way are you going to go? Well, it feels negative. It feels bad. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy my life, and we grab, grab onto it, and all of a sudden we're tunneling and, and going down the ruts of all that the enemy would want to use to take that fear and destroy our lives. But if we recognize it as a a decision point and God gives us a whole bunch of commands and promises to support what he's about to invite us to, we can go in a different direction that allows the spirit of God to empower us and live differently. So now we take fear as a decision point rather than than a curse in the sense that we have to do it and we make a choice on which way we go. And will we allow fear, fear to take us towards Jesus rather than towards the enemy? You see, the love of God is the opposite of the spirit of fear. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Fear drives people so much, but the love of God is stronger and greater that if we actually will release our hold on it, love has to push fear out. You have a part of it. So what does fear look like? What does fear drive us to? What might it look like in your life? How does it play out? Here's some examples. You're going to be late, so you start yelling at everybody in your house. You aren't going to have enough money, so you don't declare everything on your taxes for fear that you'll have to pay more. Fear leads us in wrong paths. You are afraid of the consequences to your actions, so you choose to lie rather than tell the truth. You are afraid you won't have any friends, so you give up your principles and give in to peer pressure. You are afraid of your friends' reaction, so you avoid difficult conversations and conflicts. Because you don't want to risk anything. You don't know what to do. You can't make a decision about a certain thing, so you procrastinate it, just the opportunity away, away, away. I love my wife, and she loves me, and we hope that you guys recognize that in us. That's one of the gifts we want to give you as a congregation is a picture of the mystery of God that the bride loves the husband and the husband loves the bride. We have done some things to love each other well, and we have done something to drive each other crazy. I'm trying to get better at doing what my light wife loves when it comes to vacations or trips, my wife loves them planned out way in advance. She wants to know the details, she wants to know where you're going and I'm only getting it through my thick head now that if you actually plan it far enough in advance you get two vacations for the price of one cuz you get to live it first and then you get to experience it second. <laughs> Brandon, who's doing the new marrieds class? Like teach us some of this stuff, man that I've just learned. I didn't get it. But you know cuz I kind of like short notice, I like surprises. I like quick opportunities. I'm checking last minute sales on the cruises, not the long term full price ones. But you can know that I can change. If you wonder if there's any hope for your pastor, you can know that this past vacation that you let us go on in February was booked in September. <laughs> you missed your oppor- you missed your opportunity to clap and hoot and holler. Shh, don't, shh, shh. I can't give you all the cues. you got to just get it sometimes. However, you heard me say I didn't quite get it. I want you to hear this piece of the story that shows that fear wouldn't allow me to grab on to what was going on. There was a time in my life where I was scared of offending my wife because if I talked about a vacation in advance, it meant I was getting committed and we could plan. And if we actually went down that road and it couldn't happen, I was going to have to say no and I would rather have her mad up front than no at the end. And there was a time, and I I felt this, I'm not picking on one boss, I felt this way with all my bosses that I've ever had, that if I went to my boss and I asked for time off, that I was lazy and I wasn't caring about my job, and to go to my boss in advance, that far in advance for a planned vacation, I was scared of what his reaction was going to be. Because I had to work for him from here to all the way to there. (laughs) My fear drove my wife and my boss nuts, I'm sure of it. And their craziness and the pressure of being caught in the middle of this world that I was creating caused me to be depressed and nobody was happy because I was living in fear. It's a simple example, a safe example, talking about vacations. But what does fear look like in your life? Here are some other <clears throat> actions. I just showed you some, a procrastination example. I've got a list of them on your page. Circle the ones that you think affect you or add to the list. How do you live if at that center point of intersection with fear, you go down the path of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life? If you are struggling with fear, I suggest you have some of these things, but not limited to them in your life. You might be overly aggressive. You can't handle normal conversation. You got to be aggressive. Or you're passive. You're totally withdrawn. Or you're passive-aggressive, just to combine the two where you cold shoulder or ignore or silent treatment or sulk to get your way. You get defensive or your perfectionistic tendencies push you on that you have to get everything right just so that you feel okay in the midst of fear. You may say no when you should say yes. You may say yes when you should say no. You may say yes to everything because you have FOMO, fear of missing out. They laughed at this next one in the first service. I'm sure you'll be more respectful because I created this word. Say no to everything. Some people just say no to everything because they have FOGO. See, aren't you nice? You didn't laugh. Now you're laughing. I was going to call it um, something else. I can't remember. You might say no to everything for fear that you don't know what to say yes to at all and that you may not do it or they may not be, there may be too much commitment, there may be too much energy. So instead of saying yes to something, you say no to everything. You procrastinate. You may medicate with uh, medication or coffee or food or relationships or technology or porn or drugs or alcohol. You gotta get through it and you can't do it in and of your own devices. And so the only way you can is to help yourself feel better a bit in the midst of that pain. You may get controlling. You may have analysis paralysis where you have to second guess and rethink everything and still never come to a decision because you've got to analyze it because you fear you could get it that wrong. And then worry and anxiety speak for itself. The Myers-Briggs type indicator talks about something called being in the grip where your whole personality, you live 90% of your life over here. But as soon as fear or stress shows up, your personality basically flips when you're in the grip of that and you go from being free and loving to controlling and harsh from being quiet to being loud, from being loud to being quiet. It's like it flips what you normally do sometimes. So why do we fear? Last week we talked that there's some healthy fear that can happen, don't want to fall off the edge of a cliff. I got thinking about this topic while I was preparing this week. What would it have been like, like what was fear what was happening with fear before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned and Eve is on the ground and Adam is climbing a tree, closing her eyes. She sees too much, (laughs) No. You don't get to use that part of the illustration very often. So, yeah. He's up a tree and she's below. Does she yell up to him and say, be careful, you might fall down? The way i've said it to every time i've seen my kid up a tree or was there any fear like that if he fell he just kind of was rubber boned at that moment and bounced up or always landed on his feet like what did sin do to fear how did it change it but this is what we know about fear. There's some healthy stuff, but fear is always meant the, the enemy always wants to take fear and twist it. You see, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10 10 says, but Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to us the fullest. The enemy wants to take whatever intersecting point, and he wants to aggravate it, reinforce it like there's there's often truth to the things of fear like there's a reason why you shouldn't do this or do that but he wants to twist it and pervert it and make it a stronghold rather than help you know how to navigate or what to do or how to still live your life and be able to function do not fear is a common theme in the bible if you take It's at least 100 times in the Bible, and depending how you do the different mix of the language, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not, they say there's up to 300-ish times that it's in the scripture like that. It's a common theme in the Bible because it's a part of the human condition. And God didn't actually think that it would be not a part of your life. But what it is is a discipleship point on what you're going to do with your life following God. You see, the reason for fear can be very real. But the reason to not fear is greater because God is greater than fear. And if we get solid in that sense, then we can be rooted and move into the place of of operating from a healthy point in fear. What are some of the roots of fear? Again, what would you add to this list? Some people get caught in fear because they have a fear of conflict. They fear losing control. They have a fear of being controlled. They have a fear of consequences. They have a fear of cost. They have a fear of commitment. They have a fear of change. They have a fear of what's coming. That's one of my personal favorites (laughs) that's affected me. It's been like my horrible pet for 40 years. A foreboding sense of fear you know this you've experienced this many of you I've had a great de- a great degree of healing but a foreboding sense of fear is what's next what's wrong now what I don't even want to answer the phone because I don't know what's gonna be happening I don't want to come back from vacation because I don't want to deal with the problems of what took place that was a horrible one wrecked the first week of work every time I came back for a number of years And do you know how many horrible things happened during that first week I was back? Nothing. Almost nothing. What would you add to the list of reasons for fear? The idea is not that we shouldn't have these fears. The idea is not that we just want to stop it. The idea is we want to replace it with the love of God or to go His way because the enemy wants to capitalize on them. We need to recognize then if fear is a real thing and there's a choice that we can make in an intersection place for us, we need to realize what the antidote is. What helps us make the right hand turn into the way God wants us to go? What, what is, cleans out the infection? What gets rid of that parasite of fear that wants to gnaw on your nerve of life, so to speak? You have a list, again, on those notes. And I'm just going to read through these scriptures quickly. I'm not preaching on any single one, but the reason I'm reading through these is because you'll be able to underline all the different statements that God makes about who he is in response to fear. And what I want you to get is overwhelmed or tsunami with how much God wants to speak into your fear, and how much he wants to give you a different picture of who he is in that, so that you don't get wrestled down by fear, but rather you get you get to go in the direction of God as you recognize who he is. Genesis 15 1. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. He's your protector. Genesis twenty six twenty four. do not be afraid. I am with you. I will bless you. Exodus twenty twenty. here's one that you won't like. As Moses came down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. We don't preach on that scripture a lot. It's not very fun. Why is God coming to test them and why should they not be afraid? It says, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. We should not fear because what God is leading us into is for our own good. Do not fear. Numbers 21.34, do not fear, I have delivered them to you. Deuteronomy do not fear. do not be afraid, judgment belongs to the Lord. You don't have to take all the situations into the own, your own hands. You don't have to get vengeance. Yourself. deuteronomy 3 22, do not be afraid of them the lord your god himself will fight for you he will fight for you deuteronomy 31 6 be strong and courageous he will never leave you nor forsake you joshua 1 9 have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god will be with you wherever you go Isaiah 41, 14, I will help you. Jeremiah 1, 8, I am with you and will rescue you. Jeremiah 42, 11, I will save you and deliver you. Do not be afraid. Joel 2, 21, the Lord has done great things. John fourteen don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Revelation one seventeen. do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. There is nobody before or after God. And Revelation 2.10, do not be afraid. I will give you life as your victor's crown. And then Jesus himself says in Hebrews 13.5, as he's quoted, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus will not leave you. So the pattern of where you're at, what you should start to recognize is that if you're going down the enemy's track in regards to fear, you should have things like increasing worry and anxiety and control, and you're trying to medicate and you're angry or you're withdrawn and you're caught in analysis paralysis. You should not feel life. You should not feel freedom if you're going down the enemy's track because he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy it. But if you're going down God's track, even in the midst of fear, even though they are real, remember we talked last week about the disciples being locked in the room for fear that they might be persecuted to the point of death? Guess what? It came true. They all died, 10 of them as martyrs. But what changed was not the fact that they might die someday. What changed is their courage to live for God in the midst of the fear and in the midst of their world. And so non-fear-based living following god's command and holding on to his promises gets us to live with love power and sound mind and we start to feel freedom we start to feel secure in the midst of fear trusting in the midst of fear we can have discussion we can choose we can love we can engage we are free to make yes or no decisions there's life that's why god was making those commands do not fear i am with you he's not trying to lock you down and and weigh you down he's trying to bring life and freedom. So how do you live a life without fear when God is near? What does it look like? What does it taste like to be having that promise going on in your life that he will never leave you or forsake you? If you want to live a life, if you want to break the old patterns, if you want to go in a different direction, then number one, you want to be thankful from a heart of contentment. If you want to break the power of fear over your life, be thankful for most everything in your life. These are some of the things I thanked God for in preparing this message. My eyes, so I could see as I talked about Leah. Taxes, because I prefer pavement over gravel. Healthcare, police, different cultures, children, seniors, snow, sun, malls, online church, preachers, volunteer, volunteers, pardon me. Be thankful from a heart of contentment, as in you own enough. You own enough. You are provided for. You can be thankful for what you've got rather than just flipping through the Sears catalog in 1984 waiting for your next toy. <laughs> the posture of your heart or your hands might be something like the emoji prayer hands, that of thankful. Thank God for whatever he brings. And don't just be thankful. It's okay if it's at least I don't have to go through what somebody else is going through. But you need to know their thing is their thing. Your thing is your thing. You can be thankful for whatever God allows to come your way. You're blessed beyond measure. Number two, to live a different life than being stuck in fear. Be confident from a heart of surrender. Be confident from a heart of surrender. You can be secure in what he's asking of you, of what he's trusting. You can take risks. You can have fun. You can sacrifice. You can step out. You can be obedient. You can be into what he's into. You can trust Holy Spirit to shape and mold and change you because you are enough. You are enough. He loves you as you are. And you can't get it wrong anymore because he's already purchased you. And if he's already purchased you, he owns all of you, which means he owns all of what you've done, and now's forgiven it. And he owns all of who you are now, and he owns all of the decisions you will make in the future. And he still didn't leave you on the shelf. The one who knows the future chose to choose you, and take you, even knowing what you would do in the future. What's this look like? Surrendered hands. I'm all yours. Have it all. And then finally, be generous from a heart of joy. Be generous from a heart of joy. One preacher told me one time, if you're scared of money, if you're scared of something, throw money at it. And it's, it seems a little abrupt and it's scary to talk that way in church because people accuse you just talking about money. But we're not out, you don't have to throw money here. Just do it somewhere, to your neighbor, to your kids, to your colleagues. Like, if if fear of money has you locked down, throw some of it in a direction that blesses somebody else. But I'm not just talking about generosity of money. There are a lot of things that look different, and one of them is joy. And when you have joy in your heart, and you recognize that you don't have to live in fear, all of a sudden, the sunlight bursts in and you can be generous and loving and gracious to any and all people and situations around you. You see, you have enough. You own enough. You are enough and you have enough so much that he's given everybody something to give. And so the posture for this is open-handed, generous to be able to give and generous and humble enough to be able to receive what he has for you. Leah got that miracle transplant for her cornea. That cornea worked so well, it went before the cornea, she called me good-looking, and after the cornea, she said, I'm really good-looking. So it was an upgrade. (laughs) However, that journey for her and for us was one of fear and suffering. And if you want to get practiced up at having foreboding fear, try going to the lake one day and having your patch a patch on your eye the next day when everything's going right and you're loving Jesus and you're loving your husband and you're loving your children and all of a sudden something comes out of the blue and takes your literal takes you out of your mind basically. When you realize that bad things happen to good people at the blink of an eye. But Leah as the godly woman and lover of Jesus that she is, she chose not to get locked down in fear. You see, once something like that happens in your life, and all of you have, most of you have these horrendous stories and situations, so I'm not saying Leah's the worst or our story's the worst, we're saying, we can relate to you, we know you have stories, and so you know this part is true, is once something bad like that comes out of the blue, All of a sudden, you don't know which way to turn because all you know is that it's all fair game. I'm fair game, apparently. My kids could be fair game. My church could be fair game. The enemy messes, wants to mess, mess with you all the time. So once you go through something, if you don't allow the commands of God to touch your heart, you actually become more pro, have a greater propensity to the things that the enemy wants to do to steal, kill, and destroy rather than a healed propensity and go after God in it. Romans 8, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin... The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Today I've got good news. And the good news is that the fear you dealt with yesterday to the extent and the intensity that you had it doesn't have to be the fear you live in today or tomorrow. That God good news for you that the fact that Jesus has God has said do not fear isn't a command to simply stop it and try harder and get better but rather it's a command connected with a promise that he's there right beside you and he's going to save you and deliver you and protect you and to help you. And the best news of all is even though he's said that and he's commanded that for you, this verse says that as a follower of Jesus, and if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior and forgiver of your life, he's placed his spirit in you. And now no longer are you fighting fear and fighting your way through this world by yourself, but his spirit is actually in you to empower your decisions, to give you grace, to give you hope. You don't have to get it right on your own because you already know this. You can't. I can't. But we aren't left to our own devices. We're left to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he loves to work in your life and mine. Will you stand with me, please?